when you read the book cast, right, the thing yeah. that struck me most, honestly, like to my core was when chapter where they talk about how the Third Reich actually established their way of, of separating people. They mm-hmm. modeled that after American slavery. And they, they used American slavery and the way Americans segregated as their model. Yeah, they used, they used a lot of the Jim Crow practices and even some of the Jim Crow practices was a step too far for them. Welcome to episode 219 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brew pint of fine wine or whatever happens to be in your glass. On today's episode, the Reverends Ogan Holder, Shannon Weston, and yours truly, Brian Burkoff, address and engage what's happening through a theological lens with a good brew in hand. And as always, that good brew might be in one of these uh, Pub Theology pint glasses. If you happen to be watching our live stream or video stream, uh, which you can watch anytime on Facebook, um, you can get yourself one of these by becoming a patron. Support us at patreon.com slash ptlive so we can keep this show going and you can get access to additional bonus content like before and after the show banter. And my apologies, uh, I'm a little behind in the editing and the uploading, but I'm going to catch up one day soon, very, very soon. <laughs> I may Nothing will be in. relevant. It'll there be- you go, right. <laughs> hey, anything we say at any time is relevant. Thank you very uh-huh. much. Uh-huh. Anyway, like, so, patreon.com. Like that lion's tie with the Steelers. That's, you know, way back there. Oh, Lord. <laughs> She's a fan of the show, can you tell? Anyways. Patreon.com slash PTLive. And as always, we thank our current sponsors. This week, we'll be talking about Black History Month, equality, and the whiteness of God. So what are we drinking today, fellas? Brian, how you doing with your February stream? I'm hanging in there with my dry-ish February. Uh, ish, ish. We got an ish. Yeah, there's an ish. I have today uh, a cough, cup of joe, coffee, some sort of breakfast to blend in my X-Files, uh, I want to believe, mug. And as a backup, I've got an aha orange and grapefruit uh, sparkling water. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ogan, okay. what are you drinking? Um, from uh, Genesis Beer in Rochester, New York, I've got a, a honey brown. Mm. And uh, uh, there was there was nothing on the no descriptor on the label, and I had never heard of this brewery before, so I just looked them up. And uh, their their online description of the beer is: "This isn't your watered down light beer from college." What? Nor is it a heavy. Yeah, right. Listen, Nor is it a heavy. Who's drinking honey browns in college? Me. That was the first beer that got me to like beer. You know what? Me too. I was too. Yeah. It says so. Uh, so it's not your. <laughs> Not your watered-down light beer from college, nor is it a heavy craft beer. Oh. It pours right smack dab in the middle. <laughs> Give us, let us know. Let us. We know. found the we found the Buddhism of beers, the middle ground. <laughs> Honey brown. What was the brown ale I was drinking in college? Like, shoot, what was it? 
it's so cliche now, I, but anyway. I don't know. I used to drink a Newcastle. Was it Newcastle sure. or yeah. uh, or Newcastle so, or Bass or you know one of those? I drink some Bass. We drink a lot of Killians too. Killians, yeah, that was that was yeah. a big yes. one. Yeah. Um, I am drinking. Also, I have a cup of Joe in my uh, Mister Rogers mug because it's a Mister Rogers day. And as I drink it, and my coffee gets warm, his his sweater will turn back to blue. Nice. Um, <laughs> Hi, neighbor. But uh, wait, am I the only one drinking drinking today? You are the only one drinking drinking. I am. I actually, we only had. Um, so we have a Keurig at my office because I'm at my office, and I do the smallest cup it'll do but i do two of them in one so that it's the strongest it'll brew so anyway we only had two types of decaf and one was straight decaf and one was a hazelnut decaf so i had to give in and so i've got a partially de a partial hazelnut coffee blend <laughs> half calf there you go uh, see not uh, it's full known, calf but you know full had, decaf. had i known had i known nobody else was drinking i'd have saved my beer we we'd have had a dry show I mean, come on, y'all give me some heads up on these things. I'm sorry. All, you're carrying at, the weight. I'm not allowed to drink at church. So oh my technically champagne is the only champagne or the only thing allowed, but that's only exception for weddings. For a toast, a toast at wedding. My session go. has in the last well, are you not just, are you not the bride of Christ every day? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that was like okay. that was a Brian joke, like leveled up. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he almost lost it just now. I know. Yeah, you can tell I liked it. <laughs> there you go. My um, no, my session has decided that if we come back in person, we should be allowed to have wine after these last two years. So we'll see yeah, how there that you goes. Go. <laughs> yeah, there, there there needs to be a craft beer clause in the church constitution. I agree. I agree. Yeah. On to today's topics. All right. Have you ever had to give an elevator pitch? And if so, how did it go? Mm. Um, I, I haven't, I, the only elevator pitch I've really developed is to try to explain to people what unity is. So unity is the right. denomination I belong to. It's what we call new thought Christianity. It, it, it comes, comes through the, through the, through the, uh, I guess the passage of Christian science, you know, so yeah. that, that sort of, um, we, we, we're not Bible literalists. We're not even like, you know, Jesus is the way, the truth of the life. We are like, Jesus is an example. And we're all just as divine as Jesus was and potential, that sort of deal. And, and part of what we incorporate are some Eastern practices, you know, like mindfulness and meditation and stuff like that. So what I say to people is that unity is Christians who really want to be Buddhist, but they're not ready to give up Jesus yet. You got to get that line in before they get to their floor and get off the elevator. So that's good. Exactly. That's good. Exactly. Right. So that that often gets a chuckle, and then they're like, "Wait, what?" And then yeah, I, then and then I they can, ask questions. Then yeah. I can exp then I can expand. It's a great line. I mean, I've heard you use it for years, and I always love it. That, yeah. That's 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 my only that's my only ele elevator pitch. What about you, Shannon? Any elevator I am pitches? Horrible. Because I, you know, you all know, you talk to me every week. I will tell you a story with 15 different tangents <laughs> in the middle of the story. And eventually I'll get to my point. And I almost always get to my point. And it, they're all good stories. But 
I am terrible at that kind of thing. I absolutely awful. You got to go to the top floor and back a few times. Oh my God. Like we, yeah, this has to be the slowest elevator of all time. We are are public speakers by profession. Our job is not to give elevator pitches. Our job is to tell a whole story. Also, nothing I do is simple. Like there's nothing that I do that's simple enough for an elevator pitch, in my opinion. What often... What, Maybe that's what, just my life. What's what's been happening recently is is Ava has been asking me. So what are you going to talk about on Sunday? <laughs> really, to decide if she's going to come to church or not, um, sort of deal. And usually, I'll I'll give her a summation in like two sentences, and then I'll say, so that was basically the whole talk. Now I got to figure out how to make that twenty minutes. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. and I just told you in three what it what it what it was. And more often than not, she's like, oh, okay, I'll I'll watch the live stream from home. <laughs> No, I, I putting together a sermon is different and I'll talk it all out. And then I'm like, okay, what did I just say? Like, I have no idea. I really should just go around recording myself regularly. Yeah. Listen <laughs> back. There you go. That, that can like, be painful, but what are, I have great ideas, but I don't remember any of them. <laughs> As someone who's done uh, several new church starts, I've had to sort of, you know, come up with, both the the pitch to potential uh, supporters, financial supporters on the front end, as well as people who might be interested in joining the church because you've got no one to start with and you're trying to, you know, collect a, a, a launch team or a small group of people so that you get some energy and critical mass and so on. And then running for office, you had to learn all kinds of, uh, you know, Sound bites. Uh, elevator pitches on climate to voting rights to, you know, you name it. But I don't love it. No. So is there an elevator pitch that you've thought about? Like there's some project that you thought if I could ever do this and, but yet you've never like had, you've never actually delivered it. I thought about this and I, and I couldn't come up with anything like at all, which was, I think a little bit disturbing. Cause I'm like, am I, am I just like not that imaginative that I have not <laughs> dreamed up of things? <laughs> like what's happening right now? Yeah. But what about your current venture? You know, it's kind of like, you know, online community collaboration. I mean, that that's, of course, that's so something I, that's happening. I, not... Yeah, it, it is happening. And I guess, and so we, we, we have a tagline. So the tagline is let's get our holy on. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I guess the closest thing we have to the, to the pitch is, is sort of our, our mission statement creating safe brave space for us to uncover and discover holy cells and create a world of love justice and equanimity for all projectsanctus.com boom there you go so so i don't know if they're not good at taglines either (laughs) so i don't know i don't know if that really counts as as an elevator pitch right because that that you know where 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 what makes something What's the differentiation between, you know, here's our mission statement, our vision statement and an elevator pitch. Are they the same? Is it an overlap? You know, I think there's an overlap. It's like, you know, the concentric circles or the Venn diagram where, where there's overlap, but also with an elevator pitch, there's more of the like conception, like, here's how I see this actually coming together and why you might want to think about being a part of it at whatever level you're trying to, you know, gain traction for them. Yeah, as a as a clergy coach, um, this is actually a practice that we do in our training. And now that I'm training, like, so it's a practice I lead people in. And like, what is your elevator pitch on like, what is coaching? 
you know, and what makes you a unique coach? So I literally make people do this regularly as an exercise and I can't do it myself. I literally could I did, I guess I did when I was trained. I remember mm. being asked the question and I remember going, oh my God, I'm awful at this stuff, you know, but I'm sure I wrote something out that was interesting, but you know. My problem with elevator pitches, especially rehearsed ones is that they sound rehearsed and, and not authentic right. and, not, and not genuine. So it's a, uh, I don't, I don't know if someone's yeah, giving I me mean, an elevator pitch very rarely am I going like oh yeah you you sound like you're trying to sell me something and I'm automatically suspicious right. you're out the door you're you're like this is my floor yeah I'm not a I'm a big planner actually but I'm not a like I really don't think about what I'm going to say before I say it <laughs> there you go there you're you shocked go. I know <laughs> I, I, was, uh, I was like how can I respond like <laughs> It's just too easy. Just oh my God. There wouldn't be pulpit shenanigans if you put too much exactly. um, forethought into everything. There you go. Which yeah. I have thought about changing that blog to, to coaching shenanigans, but it's just not as fun. <laughs> right. Anyway. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like there's like a, a trillion ideas Christy and I have had about potential, you know, ventures or nonprofits or business ideas oh, yeah. that, that yeah. we've like talked about, but have never like, you know, taken real steps uh, to bring into reality. So I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I know we've, we've, we're good at coming up with ideas, Dude, less got, good at executing. You, you were raising four kids. You, you didn't have the time. <laughs> there you go. I mean, that's my thing, right? Is I'm like, we have all these ideas and we actually have a more than multiple ideas like Derek and I have a plan for our future yeah. and like I'm like we will get there but What's now is not the time <laughs> yeah. well that's a, another conversation but yeah. he's got to come up with a name because I'm terrible at names there you go there you go all right I'm going to keep us moving here uh it is February and February is Black History Month and the question is how do we honor Black History Month while not limiting it to that and how do we carry that sort of energy or what's intended with that throughout the whole year um so so as you as you open the door for me to plug my other venture <laughs> one of the things we do is a podcast called with love and justice for all and this is what we've been talking about right the the performative nature of black history month just yeah. as like the performative nature of pride month um that a lot of people and corporations <laughs> a lot of people and corporations uh tend to uh tend to quote unquote pride themselves on right look at look at us and how supportive we're being right during this time and because they then, see it they see a bottom line advantage uh right happening yep exactly let's 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 earn a few more eyes and dollars by by being performative in in this space so so for me the honoring of black so why why do we have black history month in the first place right so the idea is let's draw attention to the whitewashing of American history. Um, so black history is American history, but there's a lot of the, the uh, I guess, historical figures and events in American history that are related to black people that we don't hear about. And so that's the intention of black history month. And I think that's very important. And there's enough of it that, it can be done all year. So I think I think it's an invitation for each of us as individuals, and if we own a business, to ask, 
how can we be proactively supportive of the black community and like be anti-racist so for example things like you know all you book lovers up there who order your books stop ordering your books through amazon go find some black owned bookstores right. to to order your books from um you're doing your online shopping stop just default into amazon go like are there some online stores that are owned by black people if you're giving donations to to organizations or some of these black uh black run anti-racist organizations as well and look to how you can do that and also continually educating yourself throughout the whole year so if you're a person who reads like i don't know three four five books a month um, is one of those books by a black author about black issues or about black history so that's how you continue to do it and also if you want to be you know performative on social media like many people are throwing up all the fun black history month memes during february you know space those out for the rest of the year as well mm. um and and so ask yourself am i am i and that was a talk i gave this past sunday am i actually practicing or am i just performing Right. And you know it's performative if your energy and focus on Black history is just during February. Yes. Right? Are you yes. thinking about this in October? <laughs> right. No, then it's performative. Yeah, great question. Uh, and that goes for June as well. Am I just thinking about supporting LGBTQ community and how much I support it during the month of June? Am I thinking about the injustices towards the LGBTQ plus community in late March? that's that's how you know if it's performative or not yeah excellent uh agree 100 percent and uh yeah and and the you know the creation of it makes a ton of sense because black history and accomplishments have been under taught underrepresented uh undervalued and so having you know a, a dedicated time is an invitation to begin that exploration to to dive in deeper but yeah, exactly as you said, it ought to lay a foundation for you know how we're thinking and operating and learning throughout the year. And yes, if the only time we're thinking about it is February, we're we're doing it completely wrong. And 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 now we're in a place where the reverse is beginning to happen because now you, now you know we have these towns that are like uh, you know apparently book banning is trendy again. So now we have these towns that are trying to ban certain books, and the most egregious that I saw. Was somewhere in Texas, uh, they're trying to ban uh, from elementary school a children's book about Martin Luther King Jr. Oh my God. And they're trying to ban that because I don't know, because <laughs> racism. Uh, because <laughs> Texas. Uh, right, exactly. Because, because Texas, because racism. No, not not all of Texas. I'm, I'm, I am being really good about just not painting broad strokes because they're. They're, they're great allies and activists in Texas, too. They so. are. And shout out to all our Texas listeners who we exactly, know are, exactly. are regulars. <laughs> but uh, oh, we're, but we're regulars. We're, we're are, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. So, yeah. So we're seeing this reverse begin to happen now where, you know, if, if we read, uh, you know, for certain fragile um, white bodied folks, if they read something that they think might make their little girls, little boys uncomfortable, let's get it out of the library as opposed to using it for the platform for conversation, no matter where you, where you stand. Right. Yeah. So I was looking, I was looking for an article, um, who I really, um, loved this article that was written by 
uh, she's a coach out of Atlanta that works with Brene Brown that um, wrote an article to all the corporations that put out after um, um, after George Floyd, you know, all these corporations put out letters, right? Like the, the, the Black Lives Matter letters from corporations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she wrote an article to them and basically said, that's nice, but you're going to show me, right? You got to like, yeah. you got to show me what's going on. I mean, the Kings, like over Martin Luther King weekend, the King family put out like call after call after call about the voting rights bill because they were like you can, you don't get to quote our father if you don't believe this you don't you don't get to do it without action and bringing up the fact that he was you know one of the was very unpopular at the end of his life you know we kind of talked about that over MLK weekend right but it's it's that right it's this it's Biden making Juneteenth a holiday right like who is this for I mean, and and I'm not saying that in a bad way. I don't think having Black History Month is a bad thing. I don't think having Juneteenth as a holiday is a bad thing. If, if we were responsible people that would use that for good, and I don't think America has proven itself responsible. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I think it's aspirational still. And yes, I'm yeah. a, you know, it's it's a show me kind of thing, right? Back it up show show us that america's not ready to run with scissors yet it's just not it's Mm -hmm. not it's Mm -hmm. really not Mm -hmm. and and like we we're not anyway like if you look at that list of banned books i'm like are you freaking kidding me it's it's crazy it's crazy people are crazy it is crazy and there's some bill there's some bill going through you know there's all these bills going through and like one of them would mean this was on NPR this week. One of them was like, and it's all being um, fueled by critical race theory, right? Which again, like, what's the elevator pitch on that? Like, (laughs) you're against it. Tell me, tell tell me what it's about. Give me that, give me (laughs) that elevator pitch. Critical race theory. I don't, I don't want my grandkids to know about all the stuff that I did. (laughs) Right. (laughs) When I was young. Exactly. Like, I don't want my grandkids learning about me and, you know, what I kept these people that eventually lost. Anyway, I I think that um, one of, well, anyway, one of them was that there would be webcams in every single classroom in the school district and that anyone could have access to it and anyone could comment in on anything the teacher said. And I was like, oh, no. <sighs> Wow. <laughs> That's not going to end well. That's not going to end well at all. <laughs> we are not trustworthy. So America, you have not proven yourselves trustworthy, but I will say that I think that if we found ways to truly um celebrate and again, like you know, somebody said Rosa Parks is great, but like let's talk about other people that did wonderful things. You know, like Let's let's expand our horizon here. For sure, for sure, which is one of the hopefully good outcomes of a focused month like this that will lead to lifelong learning and, and getting much deeper because there's so many um, names and dates and, and people to lift up. I will say this. It's exactly the people that say, well, there isn't a white history month like my father who would say that when I was growing up. Wow. That that I say, and that's exactly why we need a Black History Month, so that you have to check yourself and to ask that question. Well, Dad, why don't why do you think there's a Black History Month and not a White History Month? 
Why would you think that was real? You know, you're asking why there isn't a white history month. You are the answer. Exactly. Exactly. But it's the only time I got to turn that mirror around and say, why do you think that? Which is the same. He used to argue with me all the time on why we just can't use men for everybody. Why we have to use men and women and whatever. And I was like, well, because you get included in everything and I don't. And he was like, well, why can't I just include you in men? And I was like, because I'm not a man. Well, speaking of, speaking of, in the Declaration <laughs> yeah. of Independence, the Founding Fathers famously wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Of course, words that most Americans know and are well aware of, we also know how problematic they are, were and are, and they were written at a time that most of these men were slave owners. And so how were they able to write these words while they owned other human beings? Well, because they didn't see them as human. That's Because they they weren't men. They weren't they weren't men. They weren't human to begin with. And and so what that what that what that's saying here, let me fix it. Let me fix it so that it reads what they meant. Yeah. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all white men parentheses mm, that all not, rich white men all white all, landowning all, all men. white yes. landowning men in yes. parentheses if you are poor or a woman or not white this does not apply to you exactly, exactly. is 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 where that was going but do you so, even though whiteness hadn't even been defined like truly defined at that point right and do you and forgive any idiocy in this question and white privilege like do you think they really believed that African-Americans were not human, or do you think it was a construct to just continue to, you know, benefit their lifestyle and support, you know, their wealth and, and what they were doing and to feel better about it? Both and. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't actually see those as separate. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not an either or question. That, sure. That's a both and. And that was, so this is why, so, you know, I, did we talk about this last week about Whoopi Goldberg? I don't remember. Oh my we gosh. We did, but I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but this again, this is well, why she got herself yeah, yeah. in trouble, right? Because you know, she, she, I mean, this, this is the thing that many people don't get race was a construct that was invented to categorize human beings in a hierarchy, placing white at the top, right? That's that's right. what race is, so it's a, it's, it's a made up thing. But then when you start to believe in it, then racism becomes real. Yes. Race right. doesn't need to be real for racism to be real. Right. So so they were very clear that, and, and this is what anti-blackness is. I talked about this today on the podcast. This is what anti-blackness is, the refusal to, to see and honor the humanity yeah. in a black person or, you know, anybody else you don't want to, you, you know, it's it's not accepting that they are just as human as you are. So no, slaves, black people in the time of slavery were never seen as human as white people. And right. that the the sentiment behind that still continues today. And again, I, I gotta make reference again to that wonderful thing Mitch McConnell said when the voting rights act didn't pass. Black Americans are voting just as much as Americans. Right. That's that's the underlying sentiment that that continues to that be Americans are down. white. 
And Americans are white. Americans and they're Americans Latina are Americans, n- not Americans, Asian Americans, but Americans are white. Yes. So that's how they can do that. And let's also remember that our House of Representatives, when we when the government was created, it was created so that the southern slave owners could have a bigger say in what was happening in the country and the and the number of representatives were determined because if you owned a slave the slave was considered three-fifths of a human and therefore you could add that and that's that's how they calculated the population and calculated how many representatives uh were were, were sitting in the house of Re- uh, representatives yeah. for a particular state so yeah oh. no we, we weren't seen as uh fully oh. human and and it still floors me that no one's saying like so this is this is how we determine the number of representatives maybe we need to scratch the whole thing so now and 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 so we talk about uh how racism has is like a virus that adapts yeah so we don't do that anymore but what we how we've adapted that is through gerrymandering Yes. Right. So so we will we will carve up and counties and stuff and, and voting and, restrictions and, and through people and through voting restrictions as as well. So yeah. there was there was yeah, there was there was that. So uh, in her uh, excellent book, The Very Good Gospel, uh, Lisa Sharon Harper makes note of this uh, white revivalist in the 19th century, Charles Finney, and he created the altar call, which was um, mm-hmm. a chance for people to stand up, walk forward, accept the gospel and so on and finney insisted that when people were doing that coming forward they were required to give allegiance to god's governance over and above any human governance including the social legal and economic institution of slavery so when folks would go forward in an evangelical altar call they were then handed a sign-up form to join the abolitionist movement to end slavery And she writes, this form of evangelicalism understood the importance of standing against structural evil. And it seems to me today, much of evangelicalism has lost that sense of corporate and structural evil and reduced it all to personal individual evil, especially on the topic of racism. And just wondering how and why you think that has changed. I know it's complicated, but. Where do we begin? <laughs> such a such a loaded, long-winded or long complex. So 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 one of the interesting things about this was was in the earliest days, um uh when the the church or churches acknowledged that one could not can one one cannot be saved, one cannot consider themselves a Christian, a child of God, and be held in slavery. So there was actually a so so when a when a slave or enslaved person it's a better way to say it when an enslaved person declared themselves a Christian they were set free initially word right. got out and and there were a lot of people coming up at that order uh, that altar call who were enslaved because and then the church had to go like whoa 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 you right. know because many of the church attendees were were owners of enslaved people and and needed the people to work the field so they're like we got to change that so that that rule changed eventually now yes nod to many of uh um, ministers and clergy and churches who were part of the abolitionist movement um at the at the time and realize the 
the horror and evil that it was and who also okay. recognized back to the previous question that enslaved people yes were fully fully human and we needed to end slavery but again they kept especially in the south but not only in the south but they kept running up against that uh, the money right because enslaved people were the laborers no enslaved people no commerce no capitalism and eventually the money kept winning out and we just can't keep freeing black people because then who's gonna work the fields right and why are they absolutely uh the prime people to work the fields because they're not fully human this is what they were meant to do uh, and then uh, you know you know you would think that yet still this idea of owning other like even if we're shifting the view of evil from sort of structural systemic to personal and individual you would think that owning other human beings would still fit in as being wrong and corrupt and evil well and yet problem, it was it was somehow because because the bible rationalized because yeah, the and the bible, bible. yeah exactly <laughs> the bible right yes even though when you when you when you read old testament uh passages especially you know the story of moses and 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 the children of israel being delivered out of bondage out of enslavement sure we got that story but then you fast forward and there's you know paul and the authors of some of those epistles saying you know slaves on your masters because because enslavement indentured servitude was commonplace at that time in the roman empire right in, in the roman empire in, yeah freeing in slaves different... that's so old testament you know i mean so old testament but but um but yes and and um arguably it was not the horror show that the american slavery institution was or maybe it was maybe, maybe it was it wasn't i don't i don't know enough to say it wasn't the horror show but certainly slavery has existed in other parts of the world throughout yes. history what america did was particularly egregious yes. they, built, they and, built a whole nation on top of it <laughs> yeah and and derek and i had made this comment when we were in greece on when you're when you're touring the parthenon they talk about where the stone comes from for the parthenon and how far away it was and what had to happen in order to take place for these stones to get from this mountain over here to, to the top of this big rock over here in this long, long time ago. And Derek goes, you notice that they never once said slaves did that? Like, mm -hmm. because of course slaves did that, you know, that yeah. was, but they were like, one of the things that we've also noticed as we've traveled around the world is that because of the because of how egregious american slavery was in a lot of other countries um th theirs wasn't that bad you know and it's it's almost he said you know it's it's interesting because there's almost this um they've just kind of erased it into their history um we now maybe they truly have dealt with it and we're not seeing that and whatever as a country but America, because we have for 200 years, absolutely, re or 100 and whatever years, absolutely refused to deal with it and let it go on for so long and everything else, we've also given permission to the rest of the world to kind of just let it disappear in the background all the years that, 
I mean, the Roman Empire had more slaves than, you know, they would conquer people mm-hmm. and enslave the people. And that was a regular practice in the Roman Empire. And I wonder, too, if that's when you look at scripture in that way, you know, it it's a practice that went on so long. And but I but it wasn't it wasn't the African diaspora. Right. It wasn't the same. Right. I, it it wasn't it it wasn't the it wasn't the building an entire commerce on capturing and shipping yeah bodies across the world and also and also the concept when when we think of ancient ancient times and enslavement in those times the concept of race didn't exist right so it wasn't we're going to put you to work because you are a lesser human than we are well and it was we're like going to put you to work because we conquered war. your country exactly <laughs> right or you committed crimes or, or or whatever so so you know different nuance there uh uh listener Tim, always, sorry go ahead well i was gonna say when when you read the book cast right the thing yeah. that struck me most honestly like to my core was when chapter where they talk about how the Third Reich actually established their way of of separating people, they modeled that after American slavery. And they they used American slavery and the way Americans segregated as their model. Yeah, they used they used a lot of the Jim Crow practices. And even some of the Jim Crow practices was a step too far for them. Because, for example, you know, in Jim Crow, there was the there was a one drop rule. If you have one drop of black blood, you are considered black and therefore not entitled to the perks and privileges of being white. And the Germans were like, no, that's a step too far. If if a Jewish person has a has German blood in them, then the German blood has, quote unquote, purified them. So they they get to to have the perks and privileges of being German. Right. So it was it was like if if. It was a step too far for them. And I was like, that but says when something. You, when you read, well, exactly. And when you read that, you have to step back and go, wait a second. You know, this really, um, this is this is where you get to, I mean, it's money, it's economics. There's a lot of reasons why American evangelism is the way it is today. It, And that was one person in a long line of people there were plenty of evangelists at the time that didn't make people sign oh speaking, you know. of, speaking of which quick segue yeah uh, halfway through the eyes of tammy faye yeah that movie <laughs> listen that's that's it's it's i i forgot like i mean because i was born in 74 so the so the height of their popularity i'm a child and not knowing yeah. much uh, about them so so not my not my generation. Right. All right. But I do remember the, the controversy barely. I do remember eventually later, you know, Jimmy Swaggart and his tearful confession and, and all that sort of deal. But but what I didn't know and was fascinated about was was Tammy Faye's sort of like support of the, you know, the LGBTQ community in relation to AIDS. Yeah. And she was and actually she was quite just, liberal. Yeah. yeah, I was like, I didn't know that yeah. um, well, about her. And we talk about this with Trump right now, right? Like Trump's even come out and been like, y'all get the vaccine, like just do and it. And he gets get booed it. when he says And he gets it. booed when he, yeah. right? So all these people, like Trump has even, this idea of Trump has surpassed Trump, right? Right. And that always happens. Yeah, it does always happen. 
always happens when we stick somebody in, when we move somebody to idol status. Yeah. It always happens. See John Calvin, Martin Luther, Jesus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you they were create... going to say something from our listener, Tim. Uh, yeah. I was, I was going to say like they, they, they create the monster that then they create the Frankenstein monster that then is unleashed. Right. Unleashed. Right. Unleashed. Like Trump is actually Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. Like, right. We often think that true. like, you know, anyway, this is true. Uh, so listener Tim says slavery was endorsed by both Old Testament and New Testament. Hashtag never forget. Yeah, um, for sure. And Roman society was completely based on slavery, not racial base, but very much a slavery economy. Yes. So right. so there was there was that. Um, he also says uh, Juneteenth is not a holiday for black Americans. It's a holiday for all Americans to celebrate and repent. I'd argue it's a holiday for Black Americans too. Yeah, I would too. In fact, it was our holiday before it became a national holiday. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I, I like, I understand what you're trying to say. I yeah. would also, like, that's the point, right? Yeah, is that the right. point is you've just given, I mean, you've just given a bunch of white people the day off. Like, that's what's happened. Now, you're also giving a bunch of Black people, but you're not, you know, anyway. Like, yeah. but, but well, let's, why wouldn't it be a reparation that all Black people just got that day off? Like, why right. not? And and also let's be clear on that day who is mostly doing the celebrating, right? Right, right. exactly, exactly. All right, so we're going to move and talk about the whiteness of God. Um, African American preacher Tracy Blackman, uh, she's in the UCC, says my discovery of God's whiteness was more deductive than instructive, deduced from Sunday school books, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston as Moses and the statues of Mary that adorned every Catholic home in my neighborhood. Then there were the stained glass windows. Uh, stained glass was common in the church of my youth, and that stained glass either depicted no image or a cross or a white Jesus. And one popular reproduction was Jesus sitting on a rock surrounded by all white children sitting with a white Jesus, even though he's an Afro-Semitic Palestinian. And she says, it's easy to miss such an irony if one sees oneself included, not out of any maliciousness, but simply inclusion calms our fears. She, she's sort of saying it's understandable that white people never figured out this was wrong because like, oh, that looks like me. That's great. Yeah. Well, and how many, I mean, really, because it's so traditional at this point, you know, how many how many African-American people have the white Jesus praying you know where he's white blue-eyed jesus yeah. in their homes because it's just it's that's what's available traditional my grandmother had my grandmother had that you know picture that famous portrait um um and and i remember one year we got her a picture of a black jesus and she was like yeah that's not right <laughs> yeah and instead you gave her obi-wan and she's like perfect <laughs> you and you and mcgregor <laughs> The boy is dangerous. They all sense it. Why can't you? Exactly. No, and that, I mean, but that, it's interesting. I was part of a, um, it was in the, it was for the clergy of our presbytery, so in Baltimore. And although Baltimore is a significantly black city, you know, we're 60, 70%, like the presbytery, it's still the Presbyterian church, right? We're still majority white denomination. And we're at this clergy thing and, and our friend Carol Howard Merritt's doing this thing on the white like right on that actually it's really important for us to see Jesus depicted it's really important for white churches to see Jesus depicted in all races right yes. and it's really important for in America a minority church to see 
And I use that in quotes because, you know, what like <laughs> very soon and I look forward to that day, white will not be the majority. But, um, you know, for like if it's a if it's a Korean church to see a Jesus that looks Korean. Right. If it's a black church to see a Jesus that looks black, it's important for these things. And she shows that traditional picture. And really, one of the older ministers in the group was like, yeah, but that I mean, but that's what Jesus looked like. I'm sorry. What? Say that again. <laughs> your, like, your audio cut out again. What did the What did this old preacher say? Said, but that's what Jesus looks like. Yeah. Like there. Right. But there was a man, and that's what he looked like. Yeah. Yeah. Carol was like, "What are you talking about?" She goes, "In yeah. what have you ever been to? Paul? Like, have you? Do you have any idea what Jesus would have looked like and whatever?" And she started going on and. And then she showed, there's a, I think he's, uh, oh, I've got to get his name right. He's very famous. I'm pretty sure he's a Japanese artist, but he yeah, does yeah, all yeah. of these depictions of, of Jesus as, um, as Asian. And, and she shows one of his paintings and they're like, yeah, but that's just not what Jesus looks like. And she goes back to the white Jesus and she goes, and that's not what he looked like either. <laughs> like, Boom. That, they're the same, right? Like it's yes. the same. Right. And then somebody goes, well, why is it okay to show a, a Japanese Jesus, but not a white Jesus? And she's like, really? Oh like, like, There's I'm a reason that. we called you all here today. <laughs> right. Like she was like, honestly, my answer is manifest destiny. And let's move on. <laughs> like, you guys are making all my points for me. <laughs> exactly. And it's that, it's that same, mm. why don't we have a white history month? You know, kind of, it's that same thing of like well jesus had to be white because i'm white like i don't understand i don't and 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 if i and if i realize that jesus is brown then it really it really puts in my face how you know for the most part evangelicalism christianity in america is not following what christianity says in terms of how it treats brown people right and that's that's poking the bear a little too much right and 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 most of the trouble i'm getting myself in now in unity is calling out the fact that unity is a very white space from its yeah. inception you have a white couple who are co-founders that create that, that basically create this movement in the midwest kansas you don't get much whiter than kansas right you really um, don't <laughs> built 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 this wonderful uh uh space called unity village which in the height of the jim crow era did not allow its black students to stay on campus or use the pool you right. look at the unity church's majority white uh congregants and participants um and and they're flabbergasted to hear that black congregants aren't having the same experience that they are and they're like what do you mean <laughs> we're fine no. We're having a good time. This feels like home. What do you, what's happening? What? So well, it's, it's, and, and, yeah. and to, and to call it out now is, is fascinating because what's, what's, and, and to the credit, some people are hearing that and going, oh, whoa, like it never occurred to us. Tell us more. And some are like, some are like, yeah, we're not, we're not going to entertain that because, because we don't want to do the spiritual bypassing thing. We don't want to create conflict. We don't want to be divisive. 
we just want to center on love and oneness. And I'm like, yes, but you need to understand that there's some people in your community not feeling that right. be- because it's not a space where who they are is, is feeling wholly welcome, right? But yeah. we welcome everyone. How are you demonstrating that welcomeness? Well, right? and it's important that we learn. I mean, so I'm, I'm about to, my next training that I'm about to start is actually a joint um, coach training and anti-racist training. So it's coach training through an anti-racist lens. And I'm, I'm realizing, right. That like, I mean, not that I thought I, you know, like I've conquered all my issues with, but I'm very aware of my whiteness and understand that, but I've done a lot of work around whiteness with, um, in relationship to, to black people, mostly because of where I grew up and how I grew up, but I haven't done a lot of work around the Latinx population and the Asian population, you know, and I, I realize that I make some assumptions as I'm going through working on this training, you know, I'm, and I'm not doing that. There's a, um, anti-racist group that's doing the, um, that part of the training. And I'll be participating as the lead trainer of the coaching side. But I'm sitting here going, you know, it's very presumptuous for us also, as we talk about racism, to be, you know, it's all lumped in together. And yet on one level it is, right? And on the other level, it's completely different and it's separate. And we need to um, we need to understand those nuances as well. And sure. it's difficult. And as a church, I mean, this is where it's like to be a multicultural church is one of the hardest things that can be done for those very reasons, right? And for me, I've served mostly white churches my whole career. And they often like to think that when the rules, when the law changes, then it's over, you know, with the exception of a few. And then we also have to deal with the fact that in the church, like we're, we believe we're a safe place. We're the church. We love everybody. We're a progressive church. We're a safe place. But I, as a white person, don't get to determine what is safe and what is not safe for a person of color. For sure. Right. That's the other side that I have to go into this with. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, due, so due to the, you know, white depictions of of Jesus and and God and the fact that slaveholders were by and large Christians who were using the Bible to support their slavery and um, Jim Crow laws, Malcolm X said that Christianity is in fact a white man's religion. And he encouraged Black folks to adopt an understanding of God that grew out of their own history and their own experiences. Um, and that's a complicated thing. Like That's a super complicated thing. Um, because also, you know, script, and I think that's been done in many ways. And, and I think identifying with Moses and the, you know, the escape from slavery in Egypt has been such a powerful theme in the Black tradition because of the narrative that I, they can identify with. Um, but, but I can see how that would feel super conflicting. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of conversation around this. Um, uh, and there's a lot of black, predominantly black, black churches, historically black churches that um, read the way that we would read out of our book of confessions or something like a longstanding church, you know, they, they often will read from black theologians, especially during the civil rights area. They'll read a scripture from Howard Thurman. They'll read a scripture, like a, a piece from Martin Luther King. Like they will, they will lift up the way that we would in a confession. 
And I think that's understandable and very important because the beginning of Christianity for those that were enslaved was them in line. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't understand why it needs to be redefined. I think in a lot of ways, a lot of scripture, just like, it's not just like the work that we've done, but, you know, we've had to, all three of us have had to do some work of redefining God and redefining scripture and doing all of that. And, and it's just as vital for a community of color to do that for themselves. Right. Absolutely. Agree. Well, with that, that's the, that, that's the quietest. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that last word and say, thank you friends for tuning into Pump Theology Live. You can show your love for the show by becoming a supporter on Patreon. Get access to pre and post show banter and more. Visit patreon.com slash ptlive to get started. And a big thank you to our current patrons. Listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Our top cities this week were No Sleep Till Boston. Boston. Indianapolis. You should know that. I live there. I don't know why you don't know that. (laughs) Beastie Boys, baby. Well, I think that's Brooklyn, technically, but that's okay. I was going to say. Brooklyn. Oh, my God. It is Brooklyn. Brooklyn. You know what? That is the second Beastie Boys thing that I've gotten wrong in like, that's so weird to me. Anyway, it's Boston, Indianapolis, Stockholm. Watch us live Tuesdays on Facebook around 4.30 Eastern. Find or create a pub theology in your town. Learn more at pubtheology.com. Until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. I'm going to get my grunge card taken away. Like, that's seriously the second Beastie Boys thing I've gotten in trouble about. I knew you were cueing us to say Boston. I'm like, but it's not Boston. But it's not Boston. <laughs> okay, so then then it's okay that I don't know it then because it wasn't a real thing. I was like, yeah. Brooklyn. <laughs> Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Brooklyn.